Welcome to the international teaching ministry of Dr. Joseph G. Matera. As the presiding bishop of Christ Covenant Coalition, he travels the world teaching biblical truth with profound results in both the church world and the marketplace. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and transform your mind as His Word is spoken by one of God's ablest communicators. Good morning, everybody. All right. Father, we just thank you for your word. We pray you bless it. Help us understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. This can be titled, The Life That Pleases God. I would encourage you to take notes when you're listening to teaching because you will only retain 5% of whatever you hear if you don't take notes. So in that sense, it's okay to take out your phone as long as you're not texting people and you're taking notes. Okay, so James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness or humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James always has a focus on the way a person lives. Uh, you could call it integrity or character personal holiness, whatever word you want to use for it. James, who was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, was brought up in a very strict house, a very uh, godly house, um, and he observed his brother, who was God the Son and is God the Son, for 30 years living in the same home with him. And so it had a great impact upon his life, and that seems to be the focus of his life as we said the last time I spoke in opening up the series that church history tells us that James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, was known as James the Just because he lived such a pure life before God. Of course, he's a sinner. Only one person has lived without sin, and that's his brother, Jesus. However, in terms of human nature, he lived in a place where he really glorified God. And so, the importance of this cannot be overstated because we've seen so many people, uh, whether it's in a newspaper every day or people that we know or even our own life, where we have circumvented something God wanted to do. We hurt our calling or they hurt their position as a leader because they didn't control themselves or because they didn't develop uh, good character or good morals. Uh, we see people put their foot in their mouth all the time as well. Um, and so James's focus uh, in this particular chapter is on our words, in our tongue, in what we say. 
and how we live. Uh, and we're going to get to that in a moment. And so uh, just this past week, we saw a famous uh, person running for, a, uh, for president uh, put his foot in his mouth on several occasions and uh, destroyed any chance he had of becoming president. Uh, so we need to understand that uh, just one word like that uh, can make a big effect. So James has such an emphasis on that. And so what we want to do is start off with verse 19. And James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's powerful. That's something we should memorize, something I think all of us can use and put on a mirror in our bathroom first time we wake up. So let's say that. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Say that again. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So James is echoing the wisdom literature of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish Bible, the First Testament, and especially in the book of Proverbs. As you read the book of Proverbs, especially starting with chapter 10, you will find constant references to the power of words or to controlling our words. And uh, we'll read a few in, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. It says, when words are many... Sin is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Wow, that's powerful. When sin, I'm sorry, when words are many, sin is not lacking. Proverbs 11:12 says, whoever belittles his neighbor or makes fun of his neighbor, or talks about his neighbor, lacks sense. But a man of understanding remains silent. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 17.28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So if you're in a conversation with people talking about things you know nothing about, best thing to do is shut up. And they'll think you're wise. So he's talking about our words. Uh, as we see, the book of James is very, very practical. The Bible is a very practical book. It's not just about how to pray. It's not just about how to do these spiritual things. And it's not, about, it's not even just about heaven. As a matter of fact, the Bible is the most practical book ever written on how to live on the earth. It says very little about heaven. <laughs> Most Christians don't know that. Bible is not a book about heaven. I don't want to shock you today. It talks about eternal life. Eternal life begins on the earth. And so James is a book that deals with how to live on the earth. He doesn't even mention heaven once, by the way. And uh, so the Christians who are just focused on the next life are really missing it. The Bible is about how to have dominion and influence in this life. And if we follow what it says in this book, it will help our relationships. It will enhance our marriage, our friendships, our relationship with our children, relationship with coworkers, with neighbors. It's not just about praying. It's not just about spiritual things. So uh, being quick to hear reminds me of a, a powerful book I read. 
and I would encourage everybody here to get this book. It was written in 1990. It was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey, C-O-V-E-Y. You might say, well, I'm not a man who reads. Start reading then. That's a good habit to break into. Maybe that would be the eighth habit. People read. Uh, and you'll be successful. I don't know one successful person in terms of influence uh, that doesn't read and learn from others. But uh, one of his seven habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. I'm going to say it again. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Most of us, when we're in uh, conversation with others, we just want to blurt out everything we have in our heart. We want to make sure they know our point of view. But the Bible says the opposite. It says, be slow to speak, quick to listen. In other words, Stokovi got this from the Scriptures. First, hear someone else's perspective. Hear what they have to say. You might not even need to say anything after you hear them. We have to get into other people's universe People who are just in their own universe are very self-focused. And that's why he connects it to, for the anger of men does not bring out the righteousness of God. Because when we're angry, we're just concerned about our rights. I got my rights. We're concerned about justifying ourselves. We're concerned about being proven right. We're concerned about revenge, about validating ourselves, about vindicating ourselves. And that's why it says the anger of man does not bring out the righteousness of God. If you're focused on yourself, even if you're right, you're wrong. We have to bring out the righteousness of God, which is in humility. It says in the last, last week's passage, uh, that which wisdom that is from above, actually it's in chapter 3, is first peaceable and gentle, easy to be entreated without partiality. That's chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, I believe. So we have to understand that if we are going to gain friends and influence people, Dale Carnegie's great book, we need to first understand other people's perspective. Let them talk first. Don't interrupt them in the middle of a sentence. Don't have your you know, gun ready to shoot while they're talking. They could tell you just want to open your mouth and talk. You're not really listening. You are trying to manage your tongue without really trying to hear what they're saying. We need to hear and listen, and that's what this is all about. And so uh, when we talk and cut people off, or when we talk too much, when we talk and answer a question before someone even has a chance to explain their point, it tells us in Proverbs that we are foolish. Foolish people answer before they hear the question. Sometimes we finish other people's sentences thinking we know what they're about to say. We have no clue. They might shock us. They might have come up with some kind of wisdom in the last day or two. And they might have changed. Or they might have come up with a revelation. Maybe an angel appeared for them. We have to give them the right. Because even if you know what they're about to say, if they know that you have taken the time to hear them, they will be willing to listen to what you have to say. If people... Don't think you want to hear what they have to say. They won't be interested in what you have to say. And so that's what James is saying here. Let other people talk. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. 
hear. Somebody say, hear. We need to hear. And as we hear, we will be able to speak with wisdom. And we'll be able to have effectiveness in relationships. I learned one thing a long time ago. I don't care if it's a guy like uh, Donald Trump or it's the holiest person you ever met. I don't care who it is. Everybody wants to be understood. Everybody wants people around them who are interested in their experiences. Everybody wants to be heard. And if you really want to win people, be interested in what's going on in their life. Don't just talk about your life. There are some people, I remember a few times I was with somebody and I was about to pour out my heart. I was going through something and as soon as I brought up what I was going through, they took it back to themselves and they said, yeah, and you know what happened to me? And I said, oh, I give up. 30 years later, I've never tried again. Still friends with them. Never tried. It actually stops you from getting close to people. Don't take everything people say and bring it back to your life. They want you to know what they're going through. Then after they talk about it, then if it's the right time, then uh, you could talk about yourself. And uh, I don't do this all the time. My wife, I, I, sometimes I'll get frustrated. I'll interrupt her. Nobody got this down perfectly. But as I'm preaching to myself today, as we grow in this, then we will grow in our relationships. How many could say amen to that? So that's a very, very practical thing. And so he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, he didn't say anger is wrong, okay? Um, we should be angry at certain things. It tells us in Ephesians 4.26, be angry. There's a command. Be angry and sin not. All right, so those of us who love God will love the things God loves and hate the things God hates. That's actually what the fear of the Lord is. It says in uh, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate sin. God wants us to hate sin so that we don't even get tempted by the same things again. You might say, oh, that's not even possible. It is possible. That's the fear of the Lord. You develop the respect and fear of God as you grow. And there are certain things that you were turned on by. You know, it would be like, man... If somebody in this room has to be held back from jumping into doggy dupe, I think you're crazy, right? Hold me back! Oh, please, stop me! I want to jump into it! That's how God feels about pornography. That's how God feels about sexual immorality, all sexual relationships outside of marriage. That's how God feels about homosexuality, about incense, about adultery, about pornography, about sleeping around, about having casual sex having a hookup with somebody. You might think, well, yeah, that's cool, that's good. Well, God hates it. Because if you think that's cool and that's good and you call yourself a Christian, then you love what God hates and you hate what God loves. You're calling light darkness and darkness light. You're calling good evil and evil good. If you're addicted to pornography. You're addicted to something that God hates. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. So... We have to understand that the world may call this good, but I don't care. 
Because when I stand at the day of judgment, I am not going to go to entertainment tonight to get me out of the mess I'm in. I'm not going to go to Access Hollywood. I'm not going to go to Bridget Kelly. I'm not going to go to, uh, you know, uh, whatever. I forgot the name of these people, and I'm glad I forgot them. I am not, they're not going to bail me out. You're going to stand before God. You can't say, well, you know, I watched a lot of uh, TV, a lot of shows, and that's what they, they celebrated. So what are you doing watching them? If they're influencing you in the wrong way, what? That's your first clue. Shut it. <laughs> no one's putting a gun to your head to keep that tr trash on, right? Trash in, trash out. You are what you think, what you feed yourself, you know. So uh, James is, is strong here. He's saying the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. There's the difference between the anger of man and the anger of God. I should be angry when someone is abortionist, someone is pro-choice. Not at the person, because they probably don't know any better, but the concept of abortion. Why? That's killing babies. I should be angry when I see Planned Parenthood uh, admitting on a secret videotape, they didn't know they were videotaped, that they take babies' body parts, and they sell them. If that doesn't get you upset, if that doesn't show you the insidious motivation of Planned Parenthood, it has nothing to do with parenting, it has to do with profit by killing babies. If that doesn't get you mad, and in the past they actually admitted they target black and Hispanic women. They are racists. Their founder was a white supremacist. Hitler read the writings of Margaret Sanger, her grandson is the one running Planned Parenthood. They admitted it years ago. They caught him on tape targeting the minority community. If you don't get angry at them trying to wipe out the black race through legal abortion, then, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, you know, I would get angry. I would have God's anger if I saw a man beating up a, a child. If I saw a man trying to rape a woman, if I saw somebody trying to mug somebody, I would get angry, all right? Now, this is where Ephesians 4 is really helpful, Ephesians 4.26. Be angry, but sin not. The anger of man is so powerful that you could think it's God's anger and it might be your anger. I could even have my own anger against abortion, my own anger against someone doing something wrong to a child, and not God's anger. And how you could tell is if you can't control yourself and your motivation is hatred and revenge and not redemption, then it's not God's anger. See, every action God takes is to redeem a situation, to make it better, okay? And, uh, and so, be angry, but know the difference between your anger and God's anger. And if it's your anger, it's for yourself. It's not for God's glory. And then he says in verse uh, 21, therefore, which means, this is continuing the same thought, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Filthiness, rampant wickedness has to do with our mouth. Let's do it with our anger, but it means all rampant filthiness. Um, and so he says, 
receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we have to put away all wickedness, all filthiness. And for him to say put away means that we already have it. You see that? He's not saying just avoid it. He's not saying if it comes, run from it. He's saying put it away, which means that every one of us are born with wickedness. We have to put it away. It tells us in Romans 13 how we put it away. Romans 13, 12, it says, uh, 13, 14, it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So when it says put away, it's almost like talking about taking off your shirt or your coat. It's, it's like a filthy garment in Scripture many, many times uh, filthy garment has to do with a lifestyle of sin. And it's saying, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you might say, yeah, yeah, I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted. How do I get out of it? Well, it's not just saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Uh, I mean, you say, well, I know I'm lusting. I'm lusting after, you know, people of the opposite sex or whatever. So I won't lust. I won't lust. I won't lust. And that's fine. But if that's all you're doing... You're going to lust the first time you get a chance. Because the only way not to gratify the flesh, according to Scripture, is to put on the Lord Jesus. He increases and we decrease. The only way to put away filthiness is by the Word of God. Somebody say the Word of God. That's why he says in verse 19, he says, But uh, receive with humility... The engrafted word that is able to save your soul. Wow. He's able to save our soul. So he's given us hope before he says, put away wickedness. God always gives us hope. He always gives us mercy. He always gives us grace before he gives us judgment. And so the only way out of this sinful mess that we have and we live in is by the word of God, by receiving that word. It's so powerful. It's so uh, able to do away with anything that is not pleasing to God. And so what does it mean to uh, receive with meekness, receive with humility? It means that whatever area of our life that we know God is convicting us in, we need to receive what he says in our heart that's what it means when it says to the engrafted word. It's not just a word that starts in the mind. It's not just knowledge. It's not just thoughts. The engrafted word is a word that enters our very heart. The only way we can put away wickedness is by allowing the word of God to come into our heart. And then he says, which is able to save our soul. Able to save us. I thought he was talking to Christians. I thought they already were saved. Well, here's the thing. You were saved, but you are being saved. You were saved already legally and positionally. Jesus came in your heart. He saved you. He came in your spirit. But we are now working out our salvation. That's what James is talking about. That is able to save your soul. Meaning that even though we're saved, God wants to now save us and experience from the sinful 
behavior and desires. And the only way that can happen is if we receive the word. The more of the word you get into, the more you give God room and space in your life to allow his word into you, the more you'll change. How many know you can't change yourself? I remember even before I was a Christian, I was getting convicted by going to church every once in a while. And uh, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know if I was a Christian or not, but I remember I was just trying to reform myself. So I was trying not to do certain things anymore. And it was very hard. I remember the first thing I tried to tackle was cussing. I tried not to cuss anymore. That didn't last long. As a matter of fact, it was part of my language. It, it was not just English. I had a combination of English and cussing. It was Kalinglish. <laughs> and uh, it was so bad that even if I, I, one time I cussed, asking my mother to pass me the ketchup. I said, Mom, pass me the ketchup. And everybody's looking, what did you just say? It was that word, if you know what I mean, the worst one. And I was so mortified. I was 17, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, you lost it. You lost it. And I tried to stop. It didn't last too long. As soon as I saw my friends, I'd be cussing up a storm. Matter of fact, my wife told me years later, thank God she didn't tell me, while I was first saved, in prayer meetings, I was literally cussing the devil. She said, did you know, Joe, that when you were first praying, you would be cursing? I said, oh, no, I didn't know I was, oh, you're kidding. Thank God I had mature Christians around me, and they didn't tell, because I'd be so more mortified. I would have stopped praying. I wouldn't even come to the prayer meeting anymore. That's why you have to be careful how much you correct new Christians. you got to be, let them come along. Let Jesus deal with them, because you can't change yourself. Wives, you can't change your husband. Husbands, you can't change your wives. The best chance we have at influencing people, to be quite honest with you, when they're not aware of it, is between the age of infancy and eight years old. That's when you really can speak into kids. That's why actually they have what's called a 414 window. That's the easiest day uh, age to, to win people to Christ. Not that it's impossible to win other people. So... Between infancy and uh, eight years old, that's a prime time to really influence people. But after that, man, you could tell them, you could correct them, pray for them, plead them, but you can't force anyone to change. And so the only way we could change is by giving him opportunity to speak into us. Receive with meekness the word that is able to save us. So we're already saved, but we're being saved. Does that make sense? Sounds a little confusing. So the salvation is three parts. You're already saved. You are being saved. But one day, soon or very soon, we're going to see the king, and he's going to fully save us. He's going to redeem our bodies. There's not going to be any more crying, sorrow, or pain. No more junk. No more trash. You won't have to be dealing with all the stuff that you got to deal with today. And the worst thing you got to deal with is yourself. You won't have to deal with any of that anymore because he will fully save us. But until that day, we have to receive the word. Receive the word. Receive the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Hearing by the word. So he says, put away all rampant wickedness. What is wickedness? 
Whatever the Word of God says is sin, is wickedness. We can't change it. Uh, it's not called the Ten Suggestions. It's called the Ten Commandments. <laughs> the church today thinks it's the Ten Suggestions. Well, I think it would be okay if you did. No, it doesn't matter what you think. What does God say in His Word? I'm sorry, last I checked, sleeping together outside of marriage is still wrong. Last I checked, certain behaviors is wrong. You can't change it no matter what you think. And that's why we got to line up with God's word. And then he says in verse 22, oh, this is very difficult, very powerful, very poignant. He says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, again, he's emphasizing the Bible, the law of liberty. The Bible is the only thing that could give you liberty. And we look into that law and we persevere, meaning we continue to work at the word, continue to spend time with the word, continue to seek God. A lot of us, we make New Year's resolutions and we break it by January 2nd. I'm going to read the word every day. By January 2nd, we don't do it anymore. Persevere. In reading the word and meditating on the word, being no hearer but, and, and, but being a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what does it mean, be a doer of the word? And basically what he's saying here is it's not enough just to hear the word. Now, giving God space to operate is the first step. That's what James is talking about, receiving the engrafted word. But now he's taking it a step further. It's not just enough to spend time in a word. It's not just enough to receive the engrafted word. It's not just enough to allow the word of God to have entry. But now we have to follow it up by doing it, right? And some churches I go to, the whole emphasis is on the experience, the Sunday morning experience. And, uh, you know, you have people uh, slain in the spirit, this and that, and that's okay. If God is moving that way, that's fine. But I learned a long time ago, God doesn't care if you get slain in the spirit. He cares about what you do when you get up. You hear what I'm saying? He doesn't really care about all these visitations, about all these things you say, all these butterflies you have, all the shaking and all the stuff that we go through on Sunday. He doesn't even care how much you dance cares about what you do after you dance. He wants us to obey the word. He wants us to be a doer of the word. Matter of fact, when we shout amen, that is a covenantal term. That's not just any word. It actually is a, a biblical covenantal word, which means I commit to obeying what you just said. When we say amen, say amen, you just committed. You committed yourself. You committed yourself to obey whatever you just heard. Now, you're fortunate all I said was say amen. So you didn't commit yourself to anything but that I said amen. But if you say amen with any of the other parts of what I'm saying, then God wants you to follow through on it. Now, nobody's perfect, as I said. It's only Jesus who gives us the ability. But we need to make commitments and allow God to give us strength to keep them. And so he's saying, be a doer of the word. I learned a long time ago that there's something about us psychologically. It's a psychological phenomena that when we say amen, 
or maybe you don't say amen. Maybe you just shout, yes, wow, oh. tell it like it is. Uh, you know, whatever you say, it doesn't matter if it's amen or not. Um, yeah. My wife just told me not to do something, which I didn't know. I don't know what she said I'm doing, but <laughs> maybe I'm offending some of you. I don't know. Oh, she said, you see my underwear when I lift up my shirt. <laughs> I, last I checked, I wasn't a Victoria's Secret model. I don't think anybody here cares. How many care? Say amen. Shout hallelujah. Oh, God. Boy, she's, she's worried some of you are going to go after me. She still loves me, 35 years. Oh, my God. I used to be so good looking, even men followed me. That's what I was oh, God forgive me. Anyway, so I know I lost it 10 years ago when they stopped following me. But listen. <laughs> We're not very religious here in that sense. But let me, let me just say this. I don't remember what I was saying. You made me forget now. Got so caught up in my underwear, I don't remember what, it, what the point is. But, uh, oh, the psychologist said, psychologists hear me, they're going to want to see me, I think. The psychologist said that when we agree with something, there's a visceral, chemical, Reaction, perhaps it releases dopamine, I don't know what it releases, but it literally makes us think we've accomplished it. It makes us think we fulfilled it. For example, did you ever wonder why you have sports fans, and you know the word fan is fanatic. You ever see these guys, 20 degrees, and they don't care if they're in their underwear for everyone to see. They're out there, painted face, putting the name of their team on their chest, right? And they're out there in a, in a football game, in a college game, and there's thousands of them. You ever wonder why people do that? I wondered why. And I realized, wow, these people live their life through another person. If their team wins the Super Bowl or the, or the Orange Bowl or one of these bowls, then they feel ecstatic. Why? Because they think that they have won. They feel like they've accomplished it. That's why movies are so popular. You know, you might live a really boring life, but when you see Star Wars, you feel like a hero. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm defeating Darth Vader. Wow. You know, why is Star Wars at Comic-Con last week? They were talking about Star Wars. People were dressed up as Star Wars, Star Wars heroes. And this thing isn't even coming out for another year. Why is it so popular? Because people live their life vicariously through these actors. Makes them feel good. God doesn't want you to live through a visceral experience. He wants you to actually do it. As Nike said, just do it. <laughs> right? We need to just do it. 
And so it doesn't matter how good I preach. It doesn't matter how loud you laugh. It doesn't matter how much you get edified. What matters today is if you actually do something about what you heard. Matter of fact, if you are not taking notes, you are not serious about doing the word because you have a 5% chance of even remembering anything I said by next week. If you come into my house, I'll show you, even in my office, binders filled with notes from Pastor Crandall, who taught me in 1978 to 1985, binders and, of notes. Of, and um, anybody's preaching here, I'm writing notes, I'm tweeting things, I'm doing whatever I can to capture every single thing that is striking my heart. I'm constantly taking notes. Why? Because when you take notes, you remember 90% of what was sp spoken. If you can't remember 90% of what Joyce spoke last week, that means she wasted her time. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to help you. And if you're not taking notes, I encourage you to listen to this on the church website and take notes when you listen to it because that ensures that we are serious about it and that we want to change. And so God doesn't want us to be psychologically driven by some kind of experience that's virtual. He wants us to really change. He wants his word to change us. And James said that if we don't do the word, we're deceiving ourselves. And he says if we don't do the word, we're like the man who looks at himself in the mirror. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the mirror ever lie? I mean, you could go to a circus, and they had these crazy mirrors. You go to, uh, believe it or not, Ripley's, believe it or not, you go to some of these wild, I'm talking about the regular average mirror that you're going to buy in your 99-cent store. I'm talking about that. You look in a mirror, you could think you weigh a certain amount, and you lost 50 pounds. The mirror don't lie. You could think that your hair is black. The mirror don't lie. Right? So what James is saying is when we read the word, it's a mirror. He wants to reflect his heart in us to reveal who we really are and not live a life of deception. Deceived people are those who are not self-aware. By us denying who we are and what we're doing, we are not helping ourselves. We're hurting ourselves, And so he wants us to humble ourselves, not only through the word that we read, through preaching, through fellowship, through these small groups. That's why it's so important to have friends who love God. The only friends you hang out with are people who don't care about the things of God. Then you're going to have a problem. You need to have people that love God, people who will pray with you, people that will seek God, people who will not just be involved in foolishness. We need to have people that will speak the truth to us. So that's also part of receiving the word. And then he ends it by saying, in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. Boy, James is really big on this thing with words. But deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Why is he constantly bringing up the word, the mouth? It's not just God's word, but it's our word. Do you know that what we say is a reflection 
of the words that we treasure. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what fills your heart will come out in your words. He said, out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. If you're constantly speaking trash, talking about your neighbor, putting people down, that's what your heart is filled with. Right? Uh, but the, so the words that come out of our mouth are a mirror of the amount of work we have allowed God to accomplish in us. Ooh, that's deep. Boy, that's some good preaching, good revelation. The words that come out of my mouth are an indication of the amount of the word of God I've received in my life. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter how much knowledge we have. The words that we speak indicate how much entry it's had in our life. That's why it says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life is in the power of the tongue. If every time you're hanging out with people, I don't even care if they're Christians, and all you're doing is talking about people, putting them down, that's slander, that's gossip, and you're putting death out there. The word Satan means accuser of the brethren. We're getting on the devil's side when we uncover other people's faults. If you have something to say to them in love, that's okay. But we need to stop accusing and talking and putting other people down. And then he ends it with, um, and don't get up and leave when I say he ends it because there's still five or ten minutes left. Verse 27, he says, religion that is pure. So he's saying what false religion is. Now he's describing what religion that is pure is. And he says, religion that is pure and undefiled, that is to say God can't find a fault in it. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So there's two things that describe true Christianity. One is that we love one another. And in those days, there was no welfare. There was no old age homes. There was no place to send your papa and your mama. And they took care of their own. And what James is saying is if you don't take care of your own, doesn't matter how much religion you have. It's, it's not really true religion. And so James is balancing our faith. He's saying it's not just personal holiness. It's not just living a righteous life and speaking good things. But God has called us to make a difference. If we can um, summarize visiting the orphans and widows in their distress, basically visiting the orphans and widows in their distress comes down to this. Helping people when they need help. I can't help everybody. My heart breaks when I see a homeless person. God did not assign me to help every homeless person I see or every stray cat. I'd love to take every stray cat in the house. I used to do that when I was a kid, and my parents were very upset at what I did. But there are people that God has assigned me. People in my family or in the church and God is saying that if I'm going to have true religion, I'm called to help them. And then he says, and keep ourselves unspotted from the world. So God has called us to 
influence the world, not to be influenced by the world. I'm going to say it again. He's called us to influence the world. That uh, helping the orphans and widows could be summarized, but helping the quality of life of your community, of your world, of the people around you. So we're called to change the world, not be changed by the world. That's what basically James is saying. And so just living a holy life isn't enough. Just living an activist life and helping others isn't enough. If we're helping others, but we ourselves are not walking with God, that's not good. But if we're walking with God in our mind, but not helping others, that's not good. James brings a perfect balance. Change the world, but don't be changed by the world. Changing the world doesn't mean you're going to be a superstar, you're going to be a celebrity, and you're going to be on every television program. It means those that God has given you to influence. It could be one person, it could be a thousand. Serve them, love them, and those people that God has put on your heart, those callings that he lays on you, obey them. So let's stand up and pray. James is a very practical book, very powerful book. James didn't mention the word heaven once. What a shock. The Bible's not a book about heaven. The Bible is a book the most practical book ever written about how to live on the earth. Don't ever say Christianity is not practical. If you follow the writings of the Bible, it'll help your marriage, your family, your business. It'll help you in every part of your life. It's a book about how to have influence on the earth. Hallelujah. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you. You have just listened to a life-changing message. For more information about Dr. Matera, to read his numerous articles and teachings, or to inquire about more audio and visual resources, go to his website at www.josephgmatera.com.